Aalto University Podcast. Here is one point that to, to me is quite uh, unmistakable. I mean, if you think about change, it would seem that uh, there are all kinds of things we'd like to see to happen. Uh, but one thing you'll have a hard time to deny is the fact that surely you can make micro changes. I mean, that you push the change to be so small that it's not a technical question, it's not the question of resources, it's not the question of competence. It's basically just a question of deciding to do it and, and then having in real life the presence of mind of actually carrying it out. If you think about uh, the Mandela example, what we saw there was, for instance, him saying somebody's name in a way that was welcoming, Francois. Now, I would say you'll have a hard time to claim that you couldn't say somebody's name in a way that uh, makes this person feel more welcome. So this is a micro change. Also, uh, what uh, Mandela did was uh, he showed interest. Tell me, Francois, how is your ankle? I was told it was hurt. Uh, notice this continuation. I was told it was hurt. That signals that uh, maybe uh, Mandela had, uh, during the morning jog, mentioned to his uh, Secret Service guys that he's going to have an interesting day because Francois Pinard is going to come to meet me. What do you think are our chances in World Cup? And, and uh, they're likely to be guys that follow rugby closely. So, so uh, somebody might say, Mr. President, we do have our chances to become uh, one of the three best. Although New Zealand is, uh, is the clear favorite. Uh, we wouldn't really have a chance against them, but we might make it to, to number three. And, and it's such a pity that Pinar, who's such a fine captain, hurt his angle in game such and such. I mean, there are always people that are ready to tell you about something you wouldn't know for whatever reason. You are going to meet with Professor so-and-so. You might ask somebody, uh, tell me about Professor so-and-so. And, and uh, it could be that Professor so-and-so is, uh, is exciting about, ex excited about mushrooms. I mean, some people are excited about mushrooms, but you wouldn't be able to tell that if you just think about the way he or she uh, goes about. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's surprising uh, what kind of people are interested in what kind of things. But it could be that uh, you're also interested in mushrooms or uh, uh, sailing. I mean, there are all kinds of things that can connect people that don't show on the surface. But uh, you ask somebody and somebody tells you. And, and, uh, uh, but that requires for you to be interested. Now, one of the legacies of this seminar that I like to uh, see 
to come about is uh, your interest to be interested. Notice that it's understandable if somebody is interested in a given theme that delivers something beneficial for the person as a cause and effect. And, and certain pieces of information, some techniques uh, are like that. So, so uh, given your interest in such and such, let's say uh, you study at the business school and, and, and uh, uh, you're doing uh, the master's work, master's thesis on themes such and such, and then you hear that somebody has uh, actually investigated that uh, uh, for uh, his or her candidate work. So, so it's, it's natural to turn to this person with interest. So, so maybe he or she has found some literature that is relevant to you, so there's an immediate benefit if you gain access to new relevant uh, uh, literature, then you gain. But of course, in many cases, you can't really tell the gain in advance. And, and uh, it, it could be that uh, you rule out switching on your interest because you don't know what the gain would be, unless you're the kind of person who just is interested. I mean, it could be that your system level, system two level reflections have told you that there are all kinds of things that are quite astonishing in life. So, so it's not a good idea to sort of uh, fix things regarding which I should be interested. I mean, why not just sort of open one's mind to whatever happens to come? So, so uh, when I look back my life, I'm now 65. One of the uh, tremendous uh, uh, aspects of my life as it has emerged is uh, the people I've come to know and respect and, and indeed love. It's, it's, but many of them uh, are extremely surprising and even strange. Like uh, Maestro Segerstam, uh, our, one of our famous uh, conductors and, and composers, who just uh, composed his uh, symphony, was it number 319, if I remember right? So, so he, he uh, uh, designated that to, uh, to the son of our president. It was just conducted, was it was Friday. Uh, you, you can see his handwriting up here. This is uh, his symphony number 86 that he dedicated to me on the, on the occasion of my 50th birthday. There is some, some text to that effect over there. But, he, but he's an extremely strange guy. Also because he envisions things from the point of view of what they sound uh, as tones. So, so uh, I, I, I mean, this is something that I don't personally do. And, and uh, therefore, talking with somebody who... Uh, envisions things from the point of view of tones might mean, for instance, that I remember once we, we were at his summer house and then he all of a sudden said, can you hear that? I said, hear what? Can't you hear that? I, I was puzzled. I mean, I didn't hear anything particular. Then it turned out that he was pointing out to the uh, voice of mosquitoes. 
as they made it just at that moment because it was the tone S. S, but that means, you know, Sibelius, Segers, Tamsarinen, you know, S. Clear message from Sibelius to us. And didn't notice it was my, my reaction. But the point there is, if you are interested to be interested, your life is going to be more than if you restrict your interest just to such subjects that, based on your current evaluation and calculations, deliver sufficient much back. Again, it's hard for you to deny that uh, a micro-change to that effect wouldn't be possible. Now, these micro-changes are ones that uh, I, I think much of the time concern something else than just being uh, interested about something uh, intellectually. So uh, I, I'm often asked uh, for advice regarding how to uh, make a presentation. And, and uh, well, I'm not that good in giving any kind of advice. Uh, and, and that's because uh, for me it's so important that everybody finds his or her own way of doing the whatever the person is doing. So, so uh, and, and also I have such uh, considerable defects in many ways. Like for instance, I have rather bad memory. So I can't memorize that much. So, so, uh, but somebody else can memorize more than I can. So, so, uh, and also people are excited about other things. So, so, but I can say this kind of advice, that what I do is that I, uh, in the course of a presentation, what I try to do is that I try to think real thoughts. And at the same time, I try to feel real feelings. I believe this, this latter part means but particularly if the theme is one that is significant to me personally. The content is deeper, the, the, the effect is more profound. Uh, if I put myself into it emotionally, so for instance, if I go back to that speech I gave to the annual meeting of the Finnish war wounded with my father present, uh, there's a number of things regarding that speech that I could describe from outside. But uh, I think it's more useful to try to describe it as it were from its inside, just to make myself feel about the significance of, of, of the case. So uh, this is one of the aims we have with this course. So uh, when we meet here two weeks from now, uh, if we assume that for some reason you can't make it in the morning, which is possible, uh, you'll miss whatever I present in the morning, but even more, you miss your own thoughts as they would have emerged had you been here. And, and notice that if your thoughts are real thoughts, and if your feelings that you undergo as you think those thoughts are also real feelings, that's all that you miss. And of course, it wouldn't be such a big miss if you would have an alternative context to think real thoughts and feel real feelings. But in most cases, we don't have them. So, so uh, particularly when it comes to the more subjective, more personally relevant thoughts that we might think, 
so what we try to do here is that we try to touch upon our experience subjectively. Now, in, in, in some sense, this, this is sort of strange. Why should one try to create artificially context to do that? Because whatever your experiences are, of course, you have them with you at all times. I mean, why couldn't you just go for a walk and experience your experiences? The answer is because a human being, for whatever reason, has difficulties to connect with his or her experience. It's not an easy thing. Also, uh, your experiencing takes place in real time, which means that it's highly sensitive to various kinds of stimuli that might pop up. So, so you hear a sound in your pocket, and immediately your experience signals something. On the system level, it's sort of like alertion to something and and uh, it's it's uh, it's not what happens here so so uh, your experience can present itself i think uh, in layers uh, that that are quite difficult to to reach in perhaps in other contexts also because you can rest assured that uh, I'm not trying to, and nobody's trying to sort of push you in any particular direction. Notice that this is highly unlikely uh, a situation typically, because typically there is some kind of interest in the teacher, in the coach, to lead whoever participates to a particular direction. The coach's point is to make people to be more of a particular kind. Uh, and, and this is because there's this kind of instrumental interest in the coaching process. And of course, there are a lot of things regarding which we know that we would want to have it. So therefore, we perhaps hire the coach. So, so uh, you, you might hire a coach that helps you with your, let's say, voice. So, so with your breathing. But there are all kinds of uh, skills that the person can acquire. But when it comes to thinking more deeper personal thoughts, it's not a case of, that calls for a coach, I think. Primarily, it's a case that calls primarily for you. But it's difficult for you to call you. So, so uh, the, uh, the aim is trying to also give a possibility for the various layers, if we use this expression, of your experience, maybe to integrate, maybe to generate some kind of connectivity, maybe, maybe there being some kind of uh, uh, higher harmony with whatever everything you have might be. And, and, uh, and, and then in this, in this situation, uh, maybe the following also uh, is, is, uh, is, is helpful. I mean, uh, when, when we think about uh, our brains, the brains are uh, a result of uh, evolutionary processes that uh, have been beneficial for humankind and our ancestors uh, in the course of hundreds of thousands of years. And, and you could say, uh, of course, that's likely to create some kind of uh, uh, toll. And, and, and a key toll is here. You can't engage at the same time in task-oriented 
activities and free reflection. Now, uh, let me say this uh, as follows. Uh, if, if, if you manage to uh, rest, uh, it means that uh, you somehow manage to disconnect from uh, activities, from uh, uh, various goal-oriented pursuits. And it turns out that your brains switch on to a particular kind of mode as that happens. The mode is one that can be experienced, for instance, as your uh, mind jumping from one theme or content or association to the next without any seeming logic. But then again, no logic is needed because you are not after anything in particular, you're resting. Now, this kind of process, of course, can be highly rewarding because it could be that something comes up which isn't related on the face of it, on the face of it for anything that you are actually doing, but could relate to it. But you don't think about it, and nobody thinks about it, but we know that, of course, uh, even in uh, industry, even in business, people are astonishingly blind regarding possibilities as it emerges afterwards. I mean, you could say that the idea of using touch for a human being to, to, to uh, uh, communicate uh, with a device isn't that big an idea because any human being can touch. And it, in, in fact, it's something that any human being uh, as an infant starts to do very early on. I mean, it's very natural to sort of want to touch. She would say, wouldn't one want to use that? It turned out that uh, some 50 years ago, some 20 years ago, nobody thought about it. It's, it's, it really is astonishing when you think about it. And, and of course, there could be all kinds of technical reasons why even the thought didn't cross anybody's mind. Just like you say that in most cases around the world, when there's a break in any situation and people go to toilets, there's a queue for ladies' toilets. And you could say, isn't this sort of surprising that these constructors, these architects hadn't noticed that it takes longer for ladies in toilets? And, and, and they do more there. You know, they, they use more the mirrors, for instance. So, so, but it could be that thoughts are surprisingly difficult to come up with. But, but at the same time, there is the possibility of free reflection. Now, the big promise, I think, and I say this consciously, the big promise of this seminar is the promise of free reflection. So please use this possibility. I'm saying this with emphasis because I know how much time pressures each of us have. This means that it could be at the current time that uh, Monday in two weeks' time has been signaled out by you to come here to Design Factory. But as the time nears, there's going to be all kinds of alternative offers. And some of those are tempting, you know, quite important such and such. But the possibility of you thinking real thoughts of personal significance and 
feeling, real feelings that relate to those personal, personally relevant significance dimensions will be here, but it won't be in most other contexts. Now, uh, let me uh, jump to uh, something that doesn't seem to relate to what we have been discussing so far, but please, please follow me with this. Uh, this is something that relates to my personal history quite strongly. The fact that uh, we have, uh, especially lady and me, twin boys. The twin boys are by now uh, 29 years of age. And by far the most uh, important, significant, valuable, uh, most miraculous aspect of my life. Now, looking back, however, I also acknowledge that as the boys were born, it took its toll in terms of what our relationship was. Because uh, our relationship in terms of the love relationship had been tremendous. Uh, and, and uh, you, you know, uh, how we could make love, for instance, at, and at any time. It was beautiful. Uh, and... and uh, it was in every way such a great relationship, but then, then our boys were born, and this was, this, this was explosively great. But it had its toll, because I found myself to be number three guy, as far as he's concerned, as opposed to number one guy. But I'm a man of considerable ego, so, you know... It, it was not a testing, and, and, and uh, rationally speaking, I realized this is how it should be, but still, you know, it was tough, you know, speaking in Formula One terms. I wasn't even number two driver of the team, but some kind of test driver whose name you barely remember. I mean, if one is brutally honest, because her chief focus was upon the boys, and this is how it should be, of course, Every now and then I would get something for her. You know, just me. For instance, I remember one Saturday, I said to her, hey, let's go to the marketplace. You know, the Helsinki marketplace, it's a nice marketplace. It's not far from where we live. So I said, hey, let's go to the marketplace. I mean, just the two of us. The boys can take care of themselves. They were maybe 10 at a time, 11 maybe. She said, okay, Esa, let's go. But in order to save time, let's take your car. Now, given the fact that we live on the street Boulevardi, which is just a few blocks away, you know, it would have been natural, from my point of view, to walk. But we have democracy in the family, which means that everybody can vote, but only her vote is counted. So given the fact that she has voted for going in the car. It means that we, we, we go in the car. We come in the car towards the marketplace down the Esplanade Street. And I see a parking spot between two cars there on the left. And this is uh, years ago when one didn't have these this, this sensors in car. So I, I evaluate the situation quickly, put the car in the reverse, and take my car to this very, very tight spot with the back first beautifully. You know, one of those masterful parking jobs. Not one of those cases when you try to take your car in and then too late realize it's impossible. And then you have to take your car out, thus humiliating yourself in front of everybody. Not one of those cases. I mean, absolutely outstanding parking job. 
with the back first and the special lady in the car who said, Esa, it's nice to be in your car because you always park so well. I was there with total poker face, but thinking that was pretty good. <laughs> Now, if you think about uh, human logic, we can say that, well, uh, human logic uh, perhaps could be described as follows. Here is uh, something that everybody has, anybody in this room has, Esa has, everybody has an internal world. It's the sort of subjective realm, which uh, consists of uh, memories, beliefs, hopes. There are all kinds of, say, somewhat strange entities. But although they are such strange entities, they still are a part of the universe. I mean, right now you do experience something. Now, Something can happen in the external world. Let's say a parking. So it could be that the parking takes place and, 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 and somebody comments on the parking and this becomes a trigger for thoughts. So a thought emerges that wasn't there just 30 seconds ago. And, and uh, the astonishing thing of this uh, emergence of the thought is that other thoughts follow quite automatically. It's, it's uh, like in my case, you know, when I had parked my car, the special lady had uh, commented on it. You know, I started to think about uh, the fact that uh, my country, Finland, it's a small country, hasn't made it that well in many sports. You know, it hasn't really made it in football, just individual players. We haven't really made it uh, in basketball just individual players. I mean, there are a number of sports in which we haven't really made it. But when it comes to rally driving, Formula One, you know, things are tremendous. So given the fact that I have just parked my car so spectacularly, it's sort of the same thing. I'm reminded of some of the spectacular moments of Finnish motor racing. But this is a plus charge team as far as I'm concerned. You know, some themes are plus charged. But you might not be that connected to that something that is plus charged. So, so uh, now that the something happened, that brought along thoughts, that related to other thoughts, maybe there was the connection to this plus charged world within you. It's almost like this, this incident would have hidden Your, uh, uh, you would have hit your, your plus button. So, so you continue from up here. A and uh, it's, it's quite astonishing how little is needed for somebody to, to, to lead his life, her life from up here. Because it could be that uh, the effect of this incident To what actually happened is, is, is quite disproportionate because the intervening factor is invisible. So, so uh, I, I remember once in, uh, uh, in, in a return flight, this was uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the late uh, 90s, I, I had a lot of uh, 
seminars and lectures uh, for Nokia. And this was during Nokia's miracle years. So it was really great. So I was returning from a Samsat's uh, seminar uh, in the business class. And uh, there was uh, a sort of gentleman-like uh, businessman there. We started to talk and, and, and uh, when uh, he learned that I'm, I'm a Finn, uh, he, he said that, uh, you know, uh, I'm uh, quite interested in military history. So, so I, I've studied, uh, to some extent, uh, military leadership in Second World War. And when I think about uh, the three greatest military leaders in the Second World War, I would say Rome Mannerheim counts as one. And uh, to, to this day, I remember this with, with quite some emotion. And, and uh, I mean, the person didn't have any particular reason to be interested in some of the fateful uh, moments of, uh, of where I come from. And, and uh, I mean, somebody might uh, be really excited about mushrooms. If somebody is interested uh, in something, you could, probably there's something plus just that relates to this, but he or she also has noticed that very often people dismiss to something that to you is significant. In fact, it can be used against the person for the same reason, because it's such an important theme, so, so maybe there's something, if it's being put down, becomes something through which the person can be hurt. So, so uh, as a result, the person is weakened because to somebody knew where to hit. Now, it doesn't have to happen that often for the person to learn a lesson that becomes automatic. And the lesson is you better make sure not to sort of reveal what you love because there are people out there that sort of use that against you. I mean, people want to humiliate other people. Such people do exist. It's sort of strange, but it's just a fact of life. So, so, so those people, if they know what's truly significant to you, perhaps something you love can turn that against you, and, and, and they enjoy seeing you as being miserable. So therefore, I better make sure that the person doesn't find out where my plus button is with the result that there's a facade that hides everything. It could be that you have entire cultures or subcultures that operate like this. Now, personally, I think that uh, life at its best is one where people wouldn't have to fear at any time what they love. It, it would seem that uh, Capability to love is an important, unique, even perhaps uh, characteristic of us as human beings. So, so uh, I would say any community is better if, for instance, the principle of fairness is held uh, uh, very, very uh, strictly that says that uh, nobody is humiliated when somebody is in my team. It's a possible principle. 
and, and, and uh, you know, people are different. Uh, that means that some characteristics that somebody has can be made uh, uh, a source of ridicule. But if somebody's in my team, I won't tolerate it. It's a possible way of thinking. Now, it's, it's, it's this kind of uh, perspective that the plus button and the minus button perspective opens. But notice how trivial this is, intellectually speaking. But it becomes quite challenging in actual life. If it's the case, and of course it is the case, that they are hiding. It could be that they're even hiding from you. I mean, think about it this way. Uh, when I returned uh, after the stabbing and after uh, recovering uh, for the first time to, to Otaniemi, a couple of uh, things uh, happened. One was... Uh, the way the, uh, the technical guys met me. Many of these technical guys uh, are, are not that sort of uh, verbal. So, so uh, I don't recall anything that anybody said that would have been special. It was just somehow the experience of the handshake. Maybe it lasted just a little bit longer. You know, somehow the, the grab, the touch, I felt valued. Now, at the same time, it probably is the case that many of these technical guys have felt valued by me over the years. And uh, in fact, I would be uh, quite sorry if they, they didn't feel so, because I do value them. And, and uh, I, I realize that very often when you do uh, something and you are situated in some spot, in some particular hierarchy, we don't perhaps pay that much attention to somebody who is sort of lower down. But of course you can respect somebody who is doing whatever he or she is doing. And, and uh, so, in a sense, it was like uh, looking back, uh, getting back something. Uh, another thing that was quite striking was I came for uh, the lecture itself, which had been, um, the, the series had been discontinued, apart from uh, uh, some four and a half minute thing that we did from the hospital, because I felt that, you know, uh, people that had come to the lecture, which was then uh, uh, called off, should still get something, so, so, so we did uh, uh, kind of a lecture uh, from, from the hospital. But then eventually I did return, uh, and uh, as I did return, it, it was quite astonishing, the, the, uh, the standing ovation. Uh, and uh, the, uh, the, the uh, emotion that uh, conveyed. Of course, it had already start, started at the door. But the point is, we have our plus buttons, 
your parents have their bus buttons, your grandparents have their bus buttons, everybody meet have their bus buttons, but everybody has also these minus buttons. But most of the time people assume that uh, people are not that respectful of each other's bus buttons. So therefore I better not sort of uh, indicate what there might be. Uh, I mean, think about it this way. Uh, As I uh, indicated, uh, we've been married uh, for 31 years, the special lady and me. Now, all this time, even before we got married, she started what I would call as, uh, as a major training program. You know, she started to sort of improve me. And, and uh, in all kinds of nuances, you know, how an apple is peeled, kind of things. And, and how uh, hands are washed. And, and uh, there were all kinds of things regarding which she started a training program on. And it's been going now for 31 years. And, and uh, I must say, you know, I've learned so much because caring for people is so natural to her as opposed to me. I mean, I can sort of push myself to care but for her, it's natural. And, and uh, it's, it's uh, I mean, she, she, she has just extended my life in so many ways. But it's been also tough. I mean, being trained day and night. I remember a few years ago, I said to her, is, is there any sort of graduation, perhaps inside... And she said, well, uh, I'll let you know. No signs of that yet. Uh, now, there's been this training program. It's been very, very useful. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't be here if, the, if it wouldn't be for that. At the same time, it has turned out that my best friends are in a pretty much similar situation. I would say that my best friends are not perhaps not targeted with quite the sort of system, systemic strictness with which uh, PIPSA is operating. But I would say that, that, that uh, all my best friends have also power ladies and the power ladies have the training programs. So given the fact that I'm myself in pedagogy and given the fact that I'm a man myself, it, it, it seems to me quite natural to ask, you know, remembering the theme of uh, microchange, it's, it's natural to ask, well, what would be a microchange that given uh, the ladies, in typical case, given the ladies' enthusiasm for improving the husband, how would this training program that the husbands benefit so much? How could they be made more efficient? I mean, if they are beneficial, this is a relevant question. So, so what has uh, people have been able to accomplish in 31 years? You know, uh, could she have done it in 20 years? And, and, and then we would have moved on to something else after that. And, and given the fact that I myself a man, I know the answer to this question. You know, let's allow five seconds per week for a change and ask ourselves, what would be a five-second change in a relationship 
that would make a difference quite quite soon to the relationship in terms of uh, the, the pedagogical effects of the PIPSA of the relationship upon the ESA of the relationship? The answer is just one sentence is needed. This sentence came quite powerfully in the film Independence Day, the, the first uh, uh, original uh, uh, version, not, not the continuation part, uh, in which, of course, the storyline is pretty corny, as the storyline is one where alien creatures attack the globe. The human race fights back heroically with the United States, of course, leading the fight and the battle. And then what happens in, in, uh, in, in the concluding scene is that a couple of guys really stretch themselves to the utmost and are able to defeat the, the alien uh, attackers. I mean, they become colossal heroes, these two guys, that then walk on a desert and uh, the president of the United States shows up, who then delivers this line that all of us men would like to hear from our colleagues, from our team leaders, from our customers, but especially from the special lady at home. Which line is, remember, they have just uh, saved the entire world. The line is, good job. But what, what makes the line surprisingly demanding and astonishingly difficult to execute in the home context is that it ends with a period. So the line is not, that was good, but. And uh, notice that whenever we do something, of course, there's still something else to do. Now, in the home context, uh, nothing ever really comes to a completion. Also, it could be that whatever the person is now doing there, uh, he should have done already two years ago. I mean, why did you do now instead of two years ago? I've told you so many times it's a good thing to do. So it's the period that is so uh, demanding. But surely anybody can do it. I mean, you can give credit to your special lady while recognizing that, you know, what she has done when she has delivered your second child is more than just a good job. I mean, pregnancy alone, I mean, the, the delivery process, it, it may, maybe it lasted 10 hours. And, and, and breastfeeding, you know, it's, it's astonishing what these ladies do de facto. So, so uh, one would expect you to be grateful. One would expect you to be respectful. Also because it involves so much that you can't even comprehend. I mean, you can't comprehend what it means that your body each month delivers something that relates to birth. I mean, you just can't imagine it. So, so uh, one would expect uh, you to be sort of uh, respectful that, uh, you know, uh, everything that she's doing professionally, you know, given aspects in her physical being that you don't share. And, and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's this, uh, this world that we can also uh, perhaps uh, perceive from the following angle. These are results from um, 
research on team dynamics that I think uh, is, is quite useful to observe. Now, this kind of uh, behavioral science is tough, though, because it can be challenged on a number of grounds. For instance, uh, how many teams were studied? Is there some implicit bias involved? You know, this is just correlation research. There, there, there are all kinds of things that you can challenge this particular piece of research, but I think it's important in terms of the vision it, 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 uh, it, it captures. Uh, let me describe the, the setting of the research. Uh, researchers were interested in what happens linguistically with uh, business teams. As the business teams are talking about their strategies. Now, when a business team is talking about its strategy, you can expect some of the persons involved to be quite assertive regarding their particular perspective. So you can expect somebody to advocate a case. So if I'm the production guy, I'm responsible for production, it's understandable I push the case of production. Also, it could be that, uh, let's say, Leila, our, uh, uh, our uh, communications director, is famed for the fact that uh, her presentations are so mesmerizing. She speaks five languages. I mean, she's just so impressive. But I'm a production guy. You know, I'm a pretty sort of gray production guy. So I have difficulties to push my case at the best of circumstances. That means that uh, I'm out there to challenge Leila because there's a bias for Leila anyway. And it could be that uh, I don't really inquire into what she's after. Although, of, the, of course, the possibility would be there, as there is in any situation. I mean, you can ask somebody, how is your ankle? I mean, you can ask about sailing from somebody when learning that the person is an enthusiastic sailor. You know, it's, 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 you, you have all kinds of expertises everywhere in this room. I mean, you can inquire, but most of the time we don't inquire. Now, inquiry versus advocacy are two possible modes of speaking, which means that you can uh, uh, monitor the business team from this perspective. Uh, maybe, as in this case, as based on, uh, on time axis, so let's say six seconds. So within the six seconds uh, interval, you mark an X if it's advocacy, X if it's inquiry, and so forth. And then you get uh, a number. How much is there inquiry as opposed to advocacy? Now, teams are likely to be different in that respect. At the same time, it was known uh, independently uh, who are the uh, high-performing teams. So it's possible to find a correlation. And the correlation was where inquiry and advocacy was very much uh, in balance in high-performing teams, which to me is actually quite in intuitive because uh, a team is likely to do better if people understand one another. So although Leila and Esa are so different, their, their, their interests are different, their styles are different, 
but they understand one another. And why do they understand one another? Because they inquire into one another. Leila, how is this from your point of view? And 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 uh, Mia, let's say Mia is in the legal, the legal function. Mia, how is this legally? I I mean, we can inquire into one another, but of course, much of the time, our interaction, in fact, is explicit or implicit advocacy. This research, however, found that uh, when when advocacy prevails, the the uh, team performance goes down. It still could be some individual cases doesn't happen. I'm just saying that uh, this is pretty intuitive in terms of what, what seems optimal. It's, it's better to inquire as opposed to just advocate. Also, uh, the perspective of others as opposed to perspective of self. The other can mean another function, another site. Uh, uh, it can be another person. It can be Self as me, it can be my team, it can be my site, it can be my function. I mean, you can be Bill-like and, and just focusing upon the self. Uh, you, you don't inquire into the other one's perspective. You don't show in any way that you have an ability to put yourself in his or her position. Again, the same result. In high-performing teams, you, you have pretty much a balance as opposed to low-performing teams, where you have tremendous uh, bias for the self-perspective. Also, connectivity uh, higher in high-performing teams, which is quite, I think, understandable. But even most, uh, most strikingly, the positivity-negativity dimension there is, is worth observing now. If you think about our seminar so far, we started at 10 o'clock. It's now 20 to 5. There have been moments when uh, quite a few people have been smiling. There have been moments where quite a few people have been even laughing. But most of the time, we haven't smiled or laughed. Now, if we ask, uh, had somebody been watching us from behind those uh, second floor windows, would the person, would he have come to the conclusion that this is a very, very negative group because it doesn't even smile? I mean, they've been here for hours. And it's, it's, uh, I hear maybe one five-second laughter in, in, in 35 minutes. I would say uh, this wouldn't have been the conclusion. I think the person would have thought, this perhaps these people are focused. They are concentrated on something. They, 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 they are engaged. The human being, when engaged, uh, experiences a particular kind of positivity. It's a different kind of positivity as compared to when you, for instance, laugh. But it's still positivity. You know, uh, one of uh, our uh, uh, most uh, respected uh, executives, Matti Alahuhta, who also was uh, the first year's uh, the chairman of the Alta board, but when he was uh, an executive, he, he was uh, head of Nokia Telecommunications with great success. Then he was head of Nokia, Nokia Mobile Phones with great success. Then he was head, head of Kone with great success. So, so he's, uh, we could say, uh, looking back the past 15 years or so, our most 
respected business executive. It's not famed for being a great uh, a joke teller. I, I mean, he, he's pretty serious, Matis, but he's fair. The fact that he's fair, I think, means from the point of view of people that are in his team, something quite positive. It also means that, you know, uh, uh, when somebody's in, in Matis' team, it's, it's not likely that, uh, that somebody's going to be pushed down. Uh, in a way that is humiliating. Because uh, Matti assumes that things are done fairly, openly. If somebody has something to criticize in what we are doing, that somebody should talk about it when we are here, as opposed to later on. So this is positive. So there are forms of positivity which are, as it were, not so hard as are those forms of positivity that relate to, uh, let's say, articulative powers, you know, somebody speaks in a mesmerizing way or stuff like that. But it's that kind of positivity that I believe uh, dynamically can create success. But it's something that we also need in terms of the micro changes that I opened the door for First with the Mandela case, but I didn't then use the expression microchange, but now as we brought it up, uh, I, I mentioned uh, showing of interest, I mentioned gratitude. Now we talk about the fairness. Uh, it's, 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 it's the kind of uh, uh, positivity, the tone of which isn't hard, but it's vital. And this raises the question that, that to me is so fundamental and, and uh, in, in some ways also puzzling. Why hold back? I mean, why hold back something that is positive? Why hold back something that would actually benefit everybody? I mean, if you show interest, you benefit, but also the person who feels your genuine interest, he also, she also benefits, so why hold back? I mean, if, if, something, if somebody does something which is uh, 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 worthy of respect, you know, something good is done, you know, why not acknowledge it and say, good job, it was good. It's quite amazing, this holding back phenomenon. And, and uh, the holding back phenomenon, I think, is fundamentally something that relates to what we described earlier as system one. Should it be the case that your experience so far has been objectively, that very often when you show interest, it's, it sort of comes back negatively. I, I mean, uh, if you apologize, it's, it sort of just leads to worst outcomes from your point of view. It's, 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 it's warmth, human warmth doesn't really give a yield. So it could be that uh, whatever you are doing, when you are in fact holding back, is a, react, is a reaction to something that from your point of view is the norm. I would say you, you would see this logic particularly clearly uh, in, in a marriage context. 
uh, I realize not everybody is currently married. It could be a lot of people in this room don't intend to be married. I mean, it's it's possible we don't, people don't uh, uh, take that official step anyway. But of course, relationships prevail. Now, if we say, uh, let's look at the case from the point of view of the logic of a marriage and ask ourselves, which one of these two persons decided to hold back first? The answer is neither one. In most cases, they were both somehow dragged into the holding back behaviors. And what do they hold back? Well, they hold back uh, little things that they could, of course, at any time do differently and would make a difference from the point of view of the other one because it would hit the other one's plus button, but the person doesn't want to do it. And why? Because the other one doesn't do it. And this is just an objective fact. Most men, I'm now uh, picking up uh, somewhat a caricaturist picture of this, but I, let me say this in order to sort of make the point logically rather than claim this is the case in each of the relationships, each of the marriages, without indicating that, that uh, you know, things couldn't be different in some cases or that that uh, without implying that, that heterosexual marriage is somehow uh, preferable. I'm just sort of acknowledging that in most heterosexual marriages, men feel that I'm not really respected. Whatever I do is somehow wrong. She never says regarding anything I do, good job. This is the case with, I would say, most marriages, while at the same time she feels she doesn't, he doesn't really see me. I mean, I can't really talk about things that matter to me the way I want to talk about things that matter to me. I mean, for instance, it could be that if, particularly if there are children involved, that she wants to talk about all, all kinds of things that agonize her. Because if you're a mother, you're more likely to be agonized about all kinds of things that could go wrong with your child. And, and uh, if you point to statistics, you know, it's, it's no argument because she's interested in this very baby. So being worried is quite natural if you are the mother. But being worried means that you might want to talk about what you're worried about. But the guy doesn't want to talk about it. And why doesn't the guy want to talk about it? Because there's nothing he can solve. You know, he's an engineer. He wants to solve things. So, so, so uh, he wants objective discussion. Well, of course, as I said, I'm here painting the picture somewhat caricaturist way, but uh, uh, I'm here making, I think, the very, very serious point at the same time. And the serious point is that you are tracked into behaviors you wouldn't have chosen had you thought about it. But the catch is, you didn't think about it, and you still don't think about it. But the alternative is that you now start to think about it. For instance, picking up from the theme of uh, human warmth that we introduced to Mrs. Ashkola, you could say, well, what's important? What's the fundament of our relationship? If you are in a relationship. I mean, what's fundamental? 
Couldn't we talk about what's fundamental? Couldn't I myself engage in that because what's fundamental? Recognizing also that what's fundamental is going to define a perspective of a whole against which some defects are going to come through as surface defects as opposed to real defects. I mean, people have differences in their style to start with. So if you would uh, look into the theme of uh, deeper thought, deeper thought, you would engage through the faculty which we termed system two into a dialogue within yourself. Perhaps talking with some people that you find trustworthy about your bit deeper thoughts, so as to give perspective on things. I mean, it's absolutely astonishing how difficult it is for human beings to gain perspective, even when the perspective is there uh, uh, for anybody to see uh, uh, when you take some time into the game. Like, it's absolutely obvious that what the United States of America now are doing won't be sustainable. So, I mean, no country, no society can be based on hatred. So, so, so it's, it's so obvious. Now, this point, I think, is uh, brought home quite powerfully through the following little uh, video cut. This is, uh, to me, quite, uh, uh, quite touching, a cut. It's going to take us to... Uh, with the Oscar Gala. The situation here is that uh, the 83-year-old Charlie Chaplin is back in Los Angeles. He had been uh, kicked out from the United States in the early 50s after contributing more than anybody else to the birth of the entire industry. I mean, arguably, he was the greatest of all time, but he had opinions that the authorities then in the U.S. found distasteful. So when he went, as a, as a person originally from Britain, he went uh, to the uh, premiere of, uh, of, his, of his film, uh, uh, to, to London, authorities didn't let him return. So, so, so uh, he couldn't return, he lost everything. He had created in Los Angeles. Uh, but now he's back. And he's about to get uh, a lifetime uh, award, Oscar, um, the Introduction is going to be done by uh, the academy president. Uh, quite an impressive speech, I think. And then after the speech, the film cuts uh, in, into the old master, who is, uh, who is quite uh, taken by the way he's, uh, he's met there. It's about three minutes. I stop it there. It, it goes, goes on for quite some time. Uh, 
but but to me this this is such a tremendous reminder of the fact that you know uh, even even when you are the greatest of the great uh the, the respect you get uh might be held back and and it, i think it's it's for this reason why it's so important to engage in internal reflection that presents to you your own worth and and your own uh, uh, uniqueness as a human being, as somebody who is capable of something better than holding back. Uh, let me stop there and and uh, and suggest that you could leave your na name tags there, maybe on on that table where you collected from, so that we'll have them waiting for you. Uh, in, in two weeks' time, but thank you very much for your concentration and, and have, have a great dialogue, groups, and, and thank you very much for this intensity. Thank you.